We have been working through the Gospel of John, and we are up to the second part of John chapter 10 this morning. A little bit stronger encouragement than normal that you would take out your actual pew Bibles and then keep them open while I preach as I'll be referring back to several of the texts. And while you're looking that up, let me just make a couple of announcements of my own. With the arrival of Pastor Micah this summer, I had asked him or told him that we have been preaching through some certain things and we wanted to get to a convenient place in those series before I handed over the reins for him to pick what he wanted to lead us in. Last Sunday night, we got to that point, and I want to let you know that this Sunday evening, he's going to be starting us in a new sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes. And so if you'd like to be on the ground level of that sermon series and and walk through that with us, you're invited to come to our evening service and join us for that. Uh, Another transition point is this morning. This is going to be our final text in John uh, before we transition to a new series that we will start next week in the book of Revelation. But for this morning, we are in the book of John, and we will be looking at verses 22 through 42. And that will lead us to a convenient stopping point uh, before we move on later in the year to the rest of the gospel. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle John writes these words. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple, in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ... Tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, it is, is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say to him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not going, doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, then do not... But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. 
He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained, and many came to him. And they said, John did, not do, did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was growing up and going to school, one of my friends and classmates was a boy named Peter. And according to Peter, he was an all-star ball baseball player in his city's baseball league. And he talked to us about the games where he hit multiple home runs and some of his great heroic feats on the field that helped his team win the games. And that was great. Uh, many of us participated in our city baseball leagues, and it was neat to be entertained by Peter's stories of the things that he had been accomplishing. But then, as a class, we started a unit in our PE for uh, softball. And the team was hoping that Peter would bring some of his heroic baseball skills to help us win that game. But he didn't. Instead, he struck out every single time he was up. And after that point, no matter how much he insisted that he was so used to hitting 70 mile an hour pitches that he just couldn't hit the slower pitch softballs or how much he would bring the, the game balls that he said his coaches had given to him talking about you know, the successes on his field the reality was I and a number of my classmates didn't believe him any longer about his gifts on the field. Despite the words that he said about what he could do, his actions on the softball field proved otherwise. And when the choice came, we chose to believe those actions over his words. When we get to our passage in this part of John this morning, we learn again about a new setting change. Time has elapsed a little bit. We are we find out that this is taking place during the Feast of Dedication. This was a newer feast, if you will, not mentioned in the Old Testament because the events it celebrated took place after the end of the Old Testament. It was a time when after the temple had been desecrated and where pigs had been sacrificed in the temple and the priests forced to eat their meat and sacrilege of this, the Maccabees had come about 160 years before Jesus and had reclaimed the temple and rededicated it. It's actually the festival that we know mostly today as Hanukkah, which is why, as it mentions, it was taking place in the winter at the end of December. And at that time, Jesus is again in Jerusalem and he's walking around the temple. And having watched him now for a couple of years and heard all of the things that he had been saying publicly and to them, a group of Jews in their frustration surround Jesus and they want to get past all of the, the, the things that they have been hearing and all that they have been doing and they want an answer to the question. The question that we have been asking over and over again through this series, who is this Jesus? 
They want to know if he is the Christ. If he is the promised Messiah. No more dodging, no more ducking. Let's be abundantly clear. In fact, they're not even asking anymore. They are demanding, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus replies, I have told you, but you haven't believed. Now, a little bit in defense of the Jews, while Jesus had certainly alluded to his identity as the Christ, as the Son of God in front of these Jews, and while he had made even bolder, clearer, stronger statements in front of other people, like the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, The truth of the matter is, at least as far as it is recorded in the Gospel of John, Jesus never said those magic words all put together, I am the Christ. Those words never came out of his mouth. But the point that Jesus is really making as he continues his response to their demands is that he shouldn't have to speak those words Because he had shown them that he was the Christ. Again, as John makes clear at the end of his gospel, the whole point of all of the miracles that Jesus had performed was that they were signs. From changing the water into wine, from healing the man who had been lame, for giving sight to the man born blind, all of those miracles were intended to point to who Jesus was, and to identify him as the Christ that he was. And so Jesus says, look at the works that I have done. Those works are telling you exactly who I am. And that's an important point. There's a saying that I'm sure all of you have heard before, but the saying goes, actions speak louder than words. And it applies to this situation. Like my classmate Peter, you can tell me all that you want about who you are. You can use all kinds of words to describe how great you are at something or, or what you believe about something. But in the end, your actions are going to reveal who you really are and what you really believe. And the same is true about our relationships to God. You can tell me. You can tell your family, you can tell your classmates or your co-workers all day long that you are a Christian. But what's going to reveal your faith is not the words you say, but the behaviors and the works that back those claims up. Would they know that you are a Christian if you never even said it? I think that's something that we often need to be thinking about and and keep before our minds as we interact with the world. Well, again, here, Jesus is saying, my works have said far more about who I am than my words ever could. 
Those works, like the healing of the lame man or the giving of the sight to the blind, were works that only God would have the power to do. And all of the works that Jesus did were exactly the same works as the Father. If he said the words, those magic words, I am the Christ, the reality is these Jews wouldn't have believed him. And just like they had done earlier, they would have claimed that your testimony about yourself isn't valid. And so he showed them he was the Christ. But despite that, they couldn't see it. They claimed to want to know the truth. And yet when they did hear it, When they saw it, they refused to believe it. And the reason for this, Jesus says, is because they were not his sheep. And he goes on into this wonderful explanation in verses 26 through 29 about what it means to be Jesus' sheep. And there's a whole lot of really rich theology in here that I wish I could get more into. But let's notice some of those incredible claims. Again, first of all, we have an allusion to God being the one who chooses people in order to be part of the fold of Jesus. Jesus says that the sheep are given to him, the good shepherd, by the Father. We have this wonderful word of comfort for all believers. That all of those who are given to Jesus as his sheep will never be lost. Every sheep that belongs to Jesus could never be snatched out of his hand. Micah might be able to lose track of Jade for a while, but God will never lose track of you. And because of that, because you are his sheep, your eternal destiny is secured in him. What a comfort indeed. And we have allusions to the Trinity. Jesus backs up his claim that his works are the same as the Father's when he talks about no one snatching those sheep out of his hand, or or he says, my hand, in verse 28. But then following in verse 29, he also says that no one can snap the sheep out of the Father's hand, paralleling him and his work with the work of the Father and putting those two together. The Jews had missed the whole point because they were unwilling to see the answer to the question that they were asking. The answer that was right in front of them. And so in case those illusions or allusions are, are too subtle for them, Jesus ends his declaration by making a much more clear And bold claim. In verse 30 he says very directly. I and the father are one. And that is a bold claim. It is a clear statement. Jesus is claiming in that statement. That just as the father is God. As the father is divine. So he too is divine which is huge. Now, again, to be fair, as as clear as that statement is to many of us, we have to recognize that many people today still don't see it. They too aren't Jesus's sheep. 
And so when they ask the question, who is this Jesus? And they hear about the things that he taught and the things that he did and the impact that he has had on the historical outpouring of, of, or, or the historical development of our world. Many of them will be willing to say, well, he was a prophet or he, he was a good teacher. He was an interesting philosopher, but he wasn't God. That is going too far for them. But those people start to have a real problem with their argument when we get to texts like John 10, verse 30. Some who believe that Jesus was not God, but just a prophet or a good teacher, like in the Muslim community, for example, would claim, like the Jews in our text, that Jesus never said those magic words, I am God. And they would be right. Jesus, in all of the Gospels, is never quoting as saying directly those things out of his mouth. And because of that, they will reject the idea that he is, and they will even say that this claim is not a claim to divinity. Their argument that will be developed is that when Jesus continues in verses 34 through 36, he quotes from Scripture. Specifically, he's making a reference to Psalm 82. And in that psalm, which has some of its own interpretive challenges in its own context, there's a section that refers clearly to mortal human beings as gods. And it seems that they do that because these people referred to as gods were acting as judges. And so they were doing the work of God. And because they were doing the work of God, they are called themselves gods, even though they are mortal. And so, again, those that don't see this as a claim to divinity would say that what Jesus is saying is though as those people did the works of God and therefore were called gods, I can do the work of gods and call myself a, a god without necessarily making a claim of divinity. That's their argument, but that argument has some problems. First of all, the point of Jesus making and quoting Psalm 82 was not, well, those guys could call themselves gods, so why can't I? Instead, it is an argument from the lesser to the greater. If those people who clearly were mortal humans were identified as gods, even though they were not, how much more so can I, the Son of God, consecrated by the Father for this work, also claim to be God, the God that I am, without it being a blasphemous claim? Furthermore, their false argument misses the fact that the Jews that Jesus was interacting with in this story knew exactly what he was claiming and saying in that statement. That's why after Jesus made his claim that I and the Father are one, they picked up stones again to try to throw them at him and stone him to death. And the reason why they were doing that was because in the claim that he made, I and the Father are one, they knew that he was claiming to be God. And that, in their eyes, was a blasphemous claim. 
And so if Jesus wasn't God or there was confusion, that would have been a great moment for Jesus to have said, no, 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 stop. I'm not claiming to be divine. Don't throw those stones at me. I'm not calling myself God. You misunderstand what I'm saying. But he doesn't say that. He lets their interpretation and their actions stand. And that's where we get back to the problem that those that don't understand Jesus is divine have with verse 30, which is also where we get to the title that I chose for this message. While many theologians throughout the ages have made very similar arguments, it's probably C.S. Lewis's, uh, he is probably the one who's best known for developing uh, this claim. In his book, Mere Christianity, Lewis acknowledges, as we did earlier, that many people, when asked the question, who is Jesus, are very happy to identify Jesus as a good teacher, as a a philosopher that has great ideas about poverty and about riches and about loving other people, but is not divine. And in recognizing that, Uh, Lewis, again, with many others, has pointed out that assuming that John is accurate in recording what Jesus said, and we should assume that someone that knew Jesus was accurate, that Jesus doesn't really leave the option that he was just a good teacher but not divine on the table for us. In our text, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. That is indeed a divine claim. And as I said, the Jews that heard it knew that it was. Therefore, you really only have one of three options in how to respond to that claim. Jesus, first of all, could have said that he and the Father were one, that he was divine and thought that it was true, even though it wasn't. I'm pretty confident that if you really wanted to, you could go around the world and you could probably find this very day someone who thought that they were God. And if you had to do that, where would you look for that kind of a person? You could look for them in a large auditorium like this with all kinds of people following them as a cult where they were presenting themselves as divine. Or... You'd wander the streets and look for the homeless. Or you'd go to the hospital in the psych ward. Because people who think that they are divine are crazy. They're lunatics. There have been all kinds of people like that throughout history. They exist to this very day. And we look at those people and we say, you're nuts. You need help. You need to know who you really are and that you are just a normal person and we will try to get you that help. And that's an option for Jesus. He could have just been a crazy man who thought that he was God when he really wasn't. But he doesn't seem like he's delusional. He doesn't seem to act crazy. But if he was delusional then we shouldn't call him a good teacher. And so we have a second option. And that option would be that Jesus said he was divine, but he knew that he wasn't. 
that his claim of divinity was a clever way to manipulate people or to try to build himself into something that he knew he really wasn't. And we have a word for people that tell you things about themselves that they know are not true. And that word is a liar. Who knows why Jesus would invent this as a lie if that's what it was. It certainly didn't get him very far in life. We see an attempt here to try to stone him. And later those desires to kill him as a liar would be successful in his execution as a fairly young man. But we have to admit that that's another option in responding to his claim that I am, I and the Father are one. You could say he knew it wasn't true and he was just lying about himself in order to manipulate others. But again, we don't call liars good teachers. You are not a good teacher or a moral philosopher or a good person if your whole idea about what you're presenting is based on and built on a lie. We avoid those people, we expose those people, and we do all we can to dismiss and disregard them. So again, as a bit of a recap, if people want to call Jesus, he's a good teacher, it's really not an option because he is... If he knew it wasn't true, he'd be a liar. If he didn't know it wasn't true, he'd be a crazy man. But that leads us to the final option that is left. And that's to recognize that Jesus claimed that he was divine. And it was indeed true. With Jesus and John, I would obviously submit that this makes the most sense, not just of the claims that Jesus made about himself, but of the actions that Jesus performed on this earth. Only God could give sight to the blind. Only God could forgive sins. Only God could die on a cross, but then through his own power, take up his life again on the third day. And if that is true, then you have to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. When you ask, who is this Jesus? He is the incarnate Son of God, the divinity himself on earth. But to be very clear, this is not just an intellectual exercise and something to agree with or disagree with or to think about or say, ah, that's interesting. No, claiming Jesus as Lord or recognizing him as Lord is an incredible claim. And it is a claim that changes everything. And saying Jesus is Lord, it means that he healed people in order to prove who he was. And saying Jesus is Lord means that we recognize that he alone is our path to forgiveness of sins. And only through his love and actions that we do not deserve as sinners are we able to be reconciled with God. In saying Jesus is Lord, we accept his other claims. For example, made in verse 28 of our text, that Jesus has the power to give eternal life. Saying he is Lord means that we make him the Lord of our lives. That word Lord in many ways can be paralleled to the word boss. It's an acknowledgement. You are in charge. 
You have the right to tell me what to do and how to live my life in this world as you created it and as you created me. And because of that, I must submit to your will and your way. Recognizing him as Lord is not just something that we say, something that we show through our actions. Again, throughout this sermon series from John so far, we've been asking this question, who is this Jesus? And in this text, when asked directly, Jesus gives the answer, look at what I have done, and my works will tell you who I am. And then he makes the bold and direct claim, I and the Father are one. That a claim eliminates the possibility that Jesus can just be accepted as a good teacher. He was either a lunatic, a liar, or he is the Lord he claims to be. And because of that, we really only have two options in terms of a response. We can categorize him as a lunatic or a liar, and then like the Jews, we can pick up the stones to kill him. We can ignore his message. We can disregard him as someone who is nuts or else a psychopath. Or, instead of stoning him, we submit to him. And we surrender our lives to him as the God that he is. And we say, lead me, good shepherd, and I will follow. The claim is before you. How do you respond? The options are there. But again, remember, it's not the words that you say that will reveal what your real response is. These are the choices that you make in this coming week and through the rest of your lives that will tell us who do you think Jesus is. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, while we present that as a question, the reality is there is only one answer. Not who we think you are, but who you truly are. And I thank you that you came to this earth and that you revealed who you are through your actions, through your words, and that you showed us what it means to live in a right relationship with the Father. In truth, it's hard for our minds to comprehend what it meant for you, Jesus, to be the Son of God, to be God himself on this earth. And yet, we recognize that there is also no other options. And I pray that all here this morning would have their eyes opened to the Lord that you are, and in recognizing that, not only would they accept that as a truth claim, but it would impact the way that all of us live our lives on a day-in and day-out basis. May our actions not contradict our claim of you as Lord, but may everything that we do point others to the fact that we truly believe that you are our only hope for salvation. And that in looking to you, not only can we have hope, but that that for them, you are their only hope as well. Thank you for that hope. May we live in light of that in this day and for the rest of our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.